You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Monday, everybody. want to apologize for getting this episode out a little late. Um, this is a really good episode today. It's one of those episodes where there's perspective. Um, there is, I don't, I don't even really know um, how to put it because I've never been in a situation like today's guest uh, has been in. Uh, today's guest is Ted Bright, and we're going to talk about a successful hunt. But it's a successful hunt that, man, like almost didn't happen. And not because of him, but because of his son, right? And so I'm going to just let the story tell itself. I don't want to, you know, give too much away here in the introduction other than this is an episode that, you know, it's obviously a a hunting podcast, but this is an episode where (laughs) hunting is not important. The, The story is not important. Uh, or the, the the success of killing the deer is not important. Family is important. And when you have a scenario like this unfold in your life, you realize how insignificant hunting actually is in the grand scheme of your life, right? Um, there's a little saying I have written on my desk here, and it says, family over everything. And that just means that um, when I get carried away with hunting or work or um, I, I have these little moments where I, I think, um, you know, things are going wrong, I just have to take a step back and look at what is truly important. And that is obviously my mom, my brother and and everybody outside, you know, on the what I would say, there's a there's a circle here. I have my three kids and my wife and myself. That is that is in the circle. Right. And then there's another circle outside of that, which is my brother, uh, my my parents, uh, my stepbrothers and the the immediate family and then uh, like grandmas and and things like that. But then everything outside of that, um, you know, I worry a little bit less about because there's things that I can't control. And so this episode is just I I really felt like uh, Ted's story here um, needed to be shared because it's just really good. It's unfortunate that this all went down, but the good thing is, is that here we are, um, here we are, uh, you know, thanking the good Lord that things turned out, you know, in, in the most positive way possible from out of, uh, out of the darkness that, that happened to, to his son, him and his family. So I'm just going to let the story tell itself. The shitty part is, is that I wish I recorded this podcast like three days later because his son eventually got out and killed a deer. And so I wish that I had, uh, I wish I would have held off on recording this so we could have, you know, talked about his, you know, his success. But, um, Regardless, it's a great episode. It's a great story. 
Um, it's unfortunate that it happened, but uh, it needed to be shared. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, though, I want to send a, you know, talk about the, the partners here. Tethered, if you guys are interested in saddle hunting, I'm going to have a, lot, a little bit more saddle hunting type content coming out on the Hunting Gear podcast. Um, but Tethered, if you're looking for a saddle, if you're looking for a platform, climbing sticks, saddle hunting uh, accessories, look no further than Tethered. The best part about Tethered, though, is that not only do they have the awesome products, but they have an education uh, center basically built or content built. So um, YouTube, you know, other guys like myself who use the product, there's guys out there who use it way more and and more efficient than what I use it uh, at this point. But what I'm getting at is definitely go check out their YouTube channel on how to educate yourself to be a better saddle hunter. So uh, that's tethered. Wasp archery, man, <laughs> just heavy metal. I don't know why I keep coming back to that. But if you're looking for a, a serious broadhead that does a shit ton of damage and that, you know, like, let's be realistic. You put a broadhead, any broadhead through the heart of a whitetail, that whitetail is going to die. But this year, with a, a marginal shot like what I had, I truly believe that the wasp jackhammer was the reason why I found my deer because the damage that it did to the liver, to the guts, came out the other side, right? And so I, I really do think on marginal shots, the the broadhead really is that's the test for a broadhead not the double lungs not the not the heart shots the 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 bad shots right and so that's my fault that's not the broadhead's fault and so when you have a broadhead that can kind of make up for your mistakes that's what i that's why i i continue to go back to wasp because i i honestly feel like uh um uh, they are just an amazing, uh, amazing product. Majority of their heads are made in America. So with it being Christmas gift season here coming up, there's a discount code for you on Wasp Broadheads. This is this is a perfect stocking stuffer, if you ask me. NFC20, and that's going to get you 20% off of a Wasp broadhead, Broadheads. And you can go check that out at wasparchery.com. Hunt Stand, again, just another uh, company that, wants to see you be successful and so they have the app right and they have there's all these awesome all this awesome functionality behind the app they have this new upgrade called the pro whitetail upgrade which um you can go and it's just it's designed for whitetail hunters right uh, this pro this pro whitetail upgrade and so with all that said you know all the functionality all the awesome ways to use it the amount of information behind the product is what is really amazing how to use it all these different ideas from all these different people on how to use this to journal to document because really that's what this is right it allows you to look it allows you to e-scout it allows you to know who the property owners are what the property boundaries are you know you can you can do all your food plot stuff in here. You can uh, check the weather. You can, uh, you know, save trail camera pictures and all that stuff. It is documentation, right? And it allows you to reference a single point on your phone. Oh man, what's the wind doing? What should I do here? What should I do this? And it just helps you. It actually is the best forecasting tool for your particular properties that you have access to hunt. So um, huntstand.com, go check it out. I'm sure they're going to be having some kind of Black Friday sale along with all the products that I talk about. And then last but not least, Vortex Optics. I mean, just superior optics, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, binoculars, range finders, uh, uh, red dots. You need it. These guys have it. And on top of it, the customer support on top of all that is really what makes uh, Vortex superior and their VIP warranty, right? So you you smash it, you break it, or several years worth of just abuse and it finally uh, falls apart because uh, I treat my products like shit right I, i'm really hard on all my gear and so when uh, for example uh, my old pair of binoculars that i have from vortex the casing came off of it just from the dragging it in the dirt and, and all these western hunts that I, I went on 
we're talking about uh, you put it in a box, you send it to them, they fix it up for free, and then it's damn near like new when you get it back. So, uh, or I mean, it is new when you get it back. So uh, that VIP warranty is is something very special on top of all the the knowledge base that their customer service team has. So it's a win win win. Tethered Wasp Hunt Stand Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And then um, last but not least, do me a big favor. Go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and give me a five-star review. I know there's a lot of guys out there who I, I get the DMs, right? I get the, hey, man, I love your podcast. You know, thank you very much for sharing this information with us and, and um, you know, sharing your perspective and, and getting all these guests on. A lot of times guys will say, hey, you know, thank you for doing this. Uh, it helped me, you know, this guy's story helped me or your story helped me uh, get closer to a buck. And then they send me their success pictures. Take that to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, leave a five-star review and let everybody else know how awesome the sportsman's empire is and the, the, uh, nine finger, uh, chronicles and the hunting gear podcast are, man, uh, that would really help me out a lot. And I would really appreciate it. So there's that. And then Instagram, Facebook, make sure you follow, make sure you communicate. And, uh, it's just this giant community that we've created at the sportsman's empire. And, uh, you know, with it being Thanksgiving week, that in tune, that in turn is what I'm truly thankful for. So a uh, huge shout out to all of you for, um, you know, for following along and, uh, and, and being part of this community that we've built, that means a lot. So enough talking, let's get into today's episode with Ted Bright. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I, I have a strong feeling you will. Three, two, one. All right. If you're on the podcast this time of year, Usually that means it's a good thing. Something good has happened to you. And uh, Mr. Ted Bright, you are on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast once again because of a really good thing that happened to you. Welcome back. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me. It's been a while and look forward to doing it again. Yeah, yeah. So um, (laughs) this, you know, a lot of people talk about how a hunting season can be a roller coaster of emotions, right? And so everybody's like, oh man, I've had like eight dead days. And then all of a sudden the rut broke out. Now, you know, I saw three shooters or whatever, and then it went back down and then it went back up. And, and we talk about the, this roller coaster during the actual season, but it sounds like your life, not just about the hunting season has also been a bit of a roller coaster uh, in the past, you know, month and a half, you know, all the way until today. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually four weeks ago to the day that we received the call that no parent ever wants to receive. And that basically was that our, uh, our son TJ, who probably many of your listeners know, or have seen posts about us hunting or yep. something along those lines. And, uh, he uh, was found unresponsive in his dorm room at like seven thirty in the morning and uh, was rushed to the hospital. And I don't know how much detail you want to get into, but I'll, so I'll let you ask the questions that you want. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is one of those times where we kind of like, especially this conversation, we put hunting to the side and we talk about real life for, for a moment. And, and so, and I'm not trying to guess I'm not, because I have, I have the only call I've ever had is Mac fell off the play equipment. He bumped his head, you know, like that's the, that's the worst call that I've ever gotten uh, about one of my children. And so when you get a phone call from someone and they say your child is not responding or is unresponsive, what's the first thing that kind of goes in, like, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Oh gosh. You know, you don't even know, you don't know how to react, you know? Um, I mean, you know, your immediate response is like to, to get there, to get to them. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he goes to school three hours away and you know, what, what little broken information we got was that he was going to be heading to the local hospital 
Uh, then, you know, just a few minutes later, we got another call saying that he was, you know, still unresponsive, but they were trying to get him uh, to a point where they could stabilize him and get him to uh, a, a larger hospital, like, you know, have, have put him on a helicopter, I think. And yeah. that's what, what they had said. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. So uh, he basically did not have a pulse or breathing on his own for like 40 to 45 minutes. We didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Uh, we were just kind of, you know, flying by the seat of our pants and not knowing, you know, we just wanted to get in the truck and go, <clears throat> but we had to wait a little bit. We had to wait on my oldest daughter, you know, to get, get a few things and meet with her. Uh, so she could go up with us and yeah. she got, she was a little frantic and she got lost yeah. and, uh, <clears throat> then we made it to Columbia in like record time yeah. and they had, uh, airlifted him to a larger hospital in Columbia, Missouri. <clears throat> and, you know, so they revived him at his local hospital, um, flew him to Columbia where, um, you know, he, it was, it was not a good situation for the first 24 hours. Uh, when we got there right after he did in the helicopter and, uh, for the first 24 hours, it was just basically one, you know, negative news after another. And it was just all his vitals were, you know, trending to a very dark place. Yeah. And it's, forgive me, it's still difficult to talk about. Um, but that first 24 hours was really, really tough. And yeah. And they put him, you know, they induced the coma and he was still fighting it so hard though. Even though he was unresponsive, he was, you could tell he was fighting. And he, there was at one point where uh, we saw, my wife noticed it, that, uh, that he crossed his legs because he was cold because they yeah. were, uh, you know, trying to bring down his body temperature and we saw him cross his legs and we thought that was a great sign. Yeah. But then uh, they, you know, they administered this paralyzing agent and they brought his body temperature down to 90 degrees Dang. for about 36 hours. And, uh, you know, it's crazy, you know, holding and touching and, you know, uh, you know, rubbing the hands of your son, which feel lifeless and cold, you know, it feels like yeah. a corpse and, uh, you know, it's just limp and it, it's just, an indescribable experience. Yeah. But after the first 20, 24 hours, um, we got the first bit of good news. And then it was just literally one, you know, it's like Goggins says, right? One, yeah. one foot in front of the other. And it yeah. was just one small victory, one piece of good news at a time. And we just kept building and building and building. Yeah. And then finally, uh, when they turned off the sedation medication and the, uh, paralyzing agent and they had his body temperature up to about 98 degrees. Um, just minutes after turning off the medication, we could see he was trying to blink his eyes. And then within 30 minutes, he was opening his eyes and squeezing our hands. And, um, I, uh, many of your listeners may have been able to follow along on my Facebook and Instagram stories where I was just posting this out there in a really raw fashion for people to follow because, yeah. It's almost like it became a, a mood. You know, it went from me having an efficient way to update our friends and family to it felt like it became this movement where there were so many people yeah. uh, inspiring and uplifting us to continue to fight. Yeah. And uh, and you were one of them. You know, all the messages and everything that we received during that time, uh, it was helpful. You know, it really was. Yeah. Um, but it, so anyway uh, – you know, we he just progressed each each minute, each hour, each day to the point where we walked out of the hospital uh, eight days after it happened. And it was interesting because the first six days we were there, uh, the entire staff was trying to prepare us for staying there for weeks, if not months. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he, they they came up with what they thought was a diagnosis and turns out that may not actually be, but, you know, we, so we still have a long road of trying to figure out what the root cause was, yeah. but, 
um, you know, TJ has just progressed immensely. He's, you know, still in physical therapy and some speech therapy for his voice just from the breathing tubes. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, your average person that didn't know TJ would not even know anything happened to him right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a parent, uh, maybe, I don't know if you've done this yet, but you've have, has the, has the ultimate sigh of relief happened yet? Uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it ever really even happened. I, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say it was, you know, the ultimate sigh was just the fact that he was waking up from his coma because you know, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But then even after that, you know, it's just like, it was just barely away. All he can do is open his eyes and squeeze your hand, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's not like you're really breathing a sigh of relief over that. Although, you know, that was probably the biggest or the closest to that. Yeah. Um, but then at each step of the way, you know, especially within that, the first few hours, it's, you don't know if that's the plateau or, you know, you know, is he going to be functional for the rest of his life or, you know, to what, what degree. And I mean, he just continues to show what the human spirit is all about. And yeah, absolutely. You know, what, what, uh, what toughness is and, you know, just a a will to fight and survive. And yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, your son is an athlete. Okay. And so that means good physical fitness. You, you, you hear doctors, uh, every once in a while share stories about someone who like was in a major car accident and they're in really good shape. And you know, the, the terms, Oh, he's never going to walk again, or he's never going to do this. Do you feel that him and his state of health is actually one of the reasons why he's been able to recover the way he's recovered? Definitely, definitely. But I would also say that, you know, just the intestinal fortitude and the the mental strength that I think is just a maybe even kid. more important, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. And I feel compelled to tell as many people of this, especially parents of younger kids that, you know, uh, in, in today's world of soft standards and low expectations and everybody gets a trophy and, you know, you can't offend anybody and all this and that. Um, you know, I've always been an advocate of tough love and, yep. you know, holding kids to high standards and expectations. And I don't think soft survives that. I really don't. Right. I saw the, the, what he went through just to, just to battle to stay alive as, yeah. you know, life at its very fundamental core. Yeah. And I, I don't think soft survives that. No, no, it's amazing like uh the story and just like like I, there's no real words i that i can come up with other than this like other than the word energy right and so the, what i mean by that is just the the energy that he he had and like you had and all the energy that was being sent your guys's way Right. And I think in my, in my world, in my beliefs, I think that had something to do with it too. You know what I mean? And, and so we got a tough kid and we got good parents and we got positive energy and the outcome, like how can the outcome of that be negative? You know what I mean? It it just can't. So it's just all good vibes, man. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, I'm sure I'm sitting here crying talking about it, but there was nothing negative about it. It really, there really wasn't, there was no time for negativity. Exactly. And I, I look back on it as an amazing experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course you don't want to go through that if you, if you don't have to. Right. Right. But at the same time, I've never felt so much love. I've never felt so loved. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've, yeah, just to your point, I've, it was uh, it was an overwhelming and overwhelmingly positive experience, you know, just to feel all the love, really. Yeah, I'm, dude. I'm so glad that you and him are where you're at right now. You know what I mean? And so, um, and so, the reason I wanted to talk about that portion of what happened recently is because 
I think a lot of us, whether it is a guy who loves golf or um, like guys like us who were head over heels in love with bow hunting and, and whitetail hunting and, and want to go through all the motions of that. It's an event like this that, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. It's an event like this that makes things that we thought we love insignificant. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, you know, I've never been so singularly focused on something in my life. Yeah. I can, you know, a hundred percent say that, you know, for those, that first three or four days, you know, I, I didn't even think about hunting at all. That yeah. was, and, and there's not very many things in life that, uh, that would do that to guys like us in late October. You right. know what I mean? That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just reality. Right. But, right. um, you know, I, I, I didn't have to think about work. You know, my, my company was very supportive of me and said, you know, whatever you need. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't leave that ICU except for to go to the bathroom. I slept on that uncomfortable couch for seven nights and, yeah. um, was just, you know, right there with him the entire time. And, I, my whole family was, you know, outside of, you know, of course we had to do other things outside of that, but, right. um, my wife did an amazing job of letting me really focus on managing the doctors and the specialists and all of that stuff Yeah. while she made sure that everything else in life that needed to be tended to was. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, I've never been so singularly focused on something in my life. Right. Right. Now, with that said, right, he's out of the hospital. All right. Um, it is the hunting season. Uh, did he get to participate now, now that it is, you know, now he's out of the hospital. I'm sure he has certain restrictions. He's still in physical therapy. But was he able to get out at all after this event and just sit in the woods? Yes. Uh, so we we got out of the hospital late Tuesday night and our First time out was uh, that next Thursday. So two days after he got out of the hospital and nine days removed from dying for 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, we just, we went for a short walk and just went here behind the house with the crossbow. Um, and he actually ended up almost shooting a buck. Uh, it was just a little bit too dark. Yeah. But, you know, we saw two different bucks and in a, a doe, I think. And I mean, you know, he had, he, he stood up and was turned around and, and had the crossbow on the buck at like 30 yards. It was just a little too dark though, you know? Yeah. But, uh, that, so that was the first time out. And then, um, his, uh, his girlfriend was in town. So he did a lot of, uh, well, first of all, you know, he, just needed to do a lot of chilling out and yeah. that type, you know, just recovering. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course he had broken ribs and all that stuff from living on CPR. Yeah. But, uh, so he, you know, did a lot of chilling out and everything. And then I, what was it, uh, last weekend. So I don't know, a couple of weeks after he got out, uh, we went, we went out and, you know, climbed trees right next to each other and, um, you know, we got in our saddles and everything and, you know, did the whole thing. Yeah. Um, saw a couple of deer, but nothing great that morning. And then, uh, last yesterday, actually, he went out with a, with a rifle behind the house here by himself for, oh, wow. for awesome. a few hours. So awesome. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a good kid right there. You know what I mean? Like, Hunter, you know, just being just hunting and wanting to go out and hunt because I remember and I'm in no way comparing what happened to me to comparing what happened to your son. In no way am I comparing these two things, except for the fact that hunting got me out like I I had my finger cut off um, on November like third or something like that. And I was or yeah, November third or something like that. And I was back in a tree like, uh, like two days after I I had my finger cut off. And I would argue that that had more of a, um, a healing power for me 
than any type of physical therapy I did there after that. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue yeah. with the, you know, the just being in nature, especially by yourself, you know, yes. I mean, it's great that, you know, we went with me a couple of times, but I, I don't know for a young man to be out in nature and finding his way by himself is a powerful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. How old were you? I was 25 when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, did, did you, was that like a profound experience for you? You know, being out there by yourself after that event. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you what, I did a lot of thinking about, um, about how, and it, this, these thoughts at the time were big, but now I look back and they're just like, okay, you, you only lost a finger right? You just lost one finger. And meanwhile, there's other people. Uh, I've talked to a lot of uh, vets on this show who, um, who have lost arms or entire legs. And you, that is much more of a, you know, just being able to move around and compensate for the loss of a leg or an entire arm. And here I am at the time, you know, I was 25 going, Oh my God, such this, this is such a huge impact on my life. And really the only thing I can't do anymore uh, is eat, use chopsticks. So, <laughs> so, you know, and so uh, everything else in my life is normal, but you know, there was, and I, but at the time there was really a, uh, there was a, t- a short period of time that particular year where I was just like, huh, I, you know, life's going to change, you know, like I just thinking about things instead of being stuck in a house or being stuck in a, a room with just a TV. Um, and basically I just was able to think about the path that laid in front of me. And I, I'm going back to my original comment. I, I think that is what, um, like helped the most is just the isolation, the nature and me thinking. I could see that. So things are all headed in the right direction, right? Uh, Right now. And um, that's a good thing. So your, your son, he's able to um, get out. He's back at home. You know, the, the rehab is still in progress, but the, the other side of this is I'm sure as a father, you wanted to be like within like ultra protective dad mode all the time. And you just like wanted, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, but you wanted to be close to him and close to him and close to him. And, and just like, I don't know, like wanted to be by him all the time so that if, you know, God forbid something happened again, you were there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know to a degree. Yes. But I, feel like that's probably, I don't know, that's detrimental probably to his recovery and development. So I didn't do that a whole lot, really. Good. Um, I can remember, you know, uh, my wife, we were talking about whether or not he could drive somewhere. And we had just, you know, in all the chaos and everything at the hospital, I guess we had forgot what the doctor's orders were or they weren't clear about it potentially, maybe. I don't know. But uh, we were actually starting to let him do some driving, you know, just kind of locally by himself, you know, or even with others. But, um, then when we went to the pediatric cardiologist, uh, she said, absolutely no driving for six months. <laughs> so we had to reverse course on that. But, uh, but I remember when he asked to drive somewhere the first time, uh, my wife was just like, Oh, I don't, you know, just kind of like <laughs> what you're saying. I, I don't know about that, right? Driving, but it's dark and, there's deer out there and it's dangerous, you know? And yeah. I'm like, and I said, uh, and TJ's right there, you know, I'm like, babe, he's not dead anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, you yeah. might as well, you know, kind of be light about it and joke yeah. about it now because right. it's, it's, it's already done. And he yeah. liked it. He laughed. And, uh, so we haven't, we haven't been too bad about that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So what this means though, is now it like, there's, we're slowly getting back to reality. And the reality is, is that it's hunting season here, uh, now. Right. And so was it easy for you to, to leave the house and get back into a tree and start and start hunting again? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been easy for me, but you know, maybe not easy. I don't know. I, it still took, you know, a few, several days or whatever to do it. But, uh, you know, just the whole family, everything was out of whack. You yeah. know, I mean, even our, literally our dog, um, when we came home from the hospital and again, we're gone for eight days. Um, she was acting all goofy, you know, and you know, she just needed time, you know, she needed right. time. So, you know, there for a couple of days, you know, I just, all we did was kind of like repair ourselves, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, spent like I spent time with the dog, you know, yeah. um, just time with each other. And, you know, it just, you kind of had to have that reset because of I've, you know, you always wonder what PTSD is like, and you hear a lot of people, you know, um, going through that. Um, but I mean, I, I had a, I, I could see why people struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of identified it and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go down that path, but, um, you know, it's, it's been a little bit more challenging for my wife, I think. And at any rate, you know, there was a lot of, uh, recovering that we all needed to do. Yeah. And hunting was just not high on the priority list. Now, uh, unless some, you know, um, like taking TJ hunting, you know right. what I mean? Or right. something like that. But we did go for lots of walks and, you know, just, of course we had lots of visitors too. So, you know, it's, you know, time management's a big part of it. You know, everybody wants to come by and see the miracle child. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So though, um, you're on here cause you killed a big buck. And, uh, and so the craziness happened. Um, the craziness is not as crazy anymore. And so that gave you an opportunity now to get your life back in order at, in, in, in one way, shape or form. And now you were able to, to get out and, and start the hunting, uh, start hunting. Um, when, when did, when were you actually able to get out and start getting into the woods and hunting this year? Uh, well, geez, I guess it would have been, uh, I, I, it's tough to say cause it's been kind of a, uh, a blur the last four weeks, but right. I would guess it would be right around Halloween. I, I mean, I didn't hunt Halloween, but, uh, I think maybe the night before that was my first time out and there, you know, the first couple of times it was just, you know, down and dirty quick, you know, where uh, usually right behind the house, you know, wherever I could just get to and hunt for an hour yeah. in the morning or the evening. And then, you know, that as things got a little bit easier and more time, uh, available than, um, the Saturday before rifle season. So in Missouri, so that would have been what October the, or I'm sorry, November the sixth ish, something like that. Okay. Um, was the first time that I got out on public land and I did an all day hunt, you know, and it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's talk about uh, this season. All right. Um, you have a, a, a piece of property and, you know, we were talking about this in the, the intro and it, it's, it's the, a common term, high pressured public. All right. And the, when, when I asked you to describe that to me, I could hear it in your voice that you weren't joking about the, the high pressured portion. Talk to us a little bit about this property and maybe what makes it so high pressured. Uh, the 15 to 20 vehicles in the lot. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it gets a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have that many people in the parking lot, it takes the, the people who usually walk out of there successful are thinking outside of the box. All right. So, what kind of, you know, knowing that this was a high pressured piece of public, um, talk to me a little bit about how maybe you thought outside of the box, or maybe you didn't think outside of the box, but talk to us a little bit about how you were going to approach this high pressured piece. I, I mean, I, it was pretty, it's pretty simple and straightforward, you know, that, that, that Saturday before rifle season, when I got the hunt all day, um, I just, you know, went in super early and, you know, picked the, 
a spot with some, you know, historical information for the, you know, set up in the dark and everything and hunted what, I don't know, a couple hours in the morning. Uh, and I saw, you know, had some decent activity and everything, but then my, my real plan wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting success there. I was really looking forward to, uh, you know, scouting throughout the late morning and midday and then getting set up in the evening. And, you know, that's what I did. And the, the key is not only scouting for deer, of course, but scouting for where other hunters are not. And I was able to do that and, uh, you know, got set up in a favorable spot and had a encounter with a, with a really good buck. I thought he was a 10 pointer, but turns out he was 11. Um, but I actually got, got him on video, um, he was in range for like 12 minutes and uh, came in as close as 22 yards and he was getting a drink of water and um, he was quartering to me and with his head down and I was at full draw for like two minutes and six seconds. I timed it on the video afterwards, you know, and I, I was at full draw at 22 yards and I just did not like that shot. It, I'm not afraid to, you know, to take some quarter and two shots and, you know, I uh, try to, you know, line up the, uh, uh, you know, the heart lung area as far as even, you know, kind of shooting at a downward angle into them. But that shot, that quartering two at that angle, I just felt like his scapula was protecting his, the boiler house. And, um, you know, it was just too high of a, a risk of deflection on a big deer like that. And I did not take the shot uh, and I did not get a shot. And I kind of called it to a couple of my buddies and said that that's a, you know, I feel comfortable with my decision to not shoot that deer. And I said, you know, I, I have a feeling I'll run into him again on Saturday. And, and so uh, you, you this was this was the first day back into the into the timber for that all day sit right yes okay that's my first like real hunt you know what okay I mean? gotcha so you got you almost got lucky and just nailed it right out of the gate um talk to us a little bit about the terrain here um why did this deer like the area that you were in and uh and maybe what the deer movement was doing in relationship to where all the other pressure was at well, it was, uh, it was, you know, pre-rut, it, it was so, you know, again, early November, but it just, uh, you know, I, I wasn't seeing any, you know, like breeding sign yet. I'm sure it was happening, but you know, it was more like a pre-rut pattern. Right. Um, and you know, deer activity was just like you would expect during that time, you know, bucks were up early and, uh, you know, just, you know, scent checking. And those are, you know, up a little bit earlier also just cause it's, uh, you know, it was getting chilly and things like that. And, um, yeah, so I was able to find that place where the other hunters were not and the deer activity was really high. Yeah. And so what about the terrain? Are we talking like a big, big block timber? Are we talking about river bottom? Are we talking about like egg mix? What's, what was the, uh, the breakdown there? mostly river bottom area okay all right and so river bottom can be awesome like i'll tell you i'll tell you a little bit about my experience on river bottom um river bottom ground can be some of my favorite uh in certain times of year on certain wind directions and that wind just your scent goes over the river and then whatever thermals are just carrying with the water or the create some kind of drift with the scent and you're you can find some really lock tight stand locations um next to water at the same time i feel that in other times when thermals start to shift you can get some what i call breathing where the if there's not a strong predominant wind you can get almost like the tides in an ocean where the scent can come in and then it can go out and it's almost like a teeter totter or a pendulum. And in that, and it, it could really screw you up on this at the same time. So, um, was this location like 
like a fail-safe location, maybe where the river would bend into a terrain feature, or was this like flat ground? Yeah, it's it's the latter. It, it's uh, it's tough, and the wind is wonky, and it's going all over the place. You you know you don't get a consistent um, prevailing wind, and you don't get a consistent thermal push or pull it's uh it's it's one of those trickier ones for sure yeah and one thing again that i've noticed over the years is that's where the deer love to be yeah 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 yep milkweed is your friend exactly exactly so um you had this deer within range for a long period of time you decided to pass on on the shot um that hunt ended and uh the were you able to get out the next day no, I wasn't able to get out for several days, actually, just, you know, with at, at this point, you know, I'm like trying to catch up with work and everything. You know how it goes. Yeah. I mean, just and we're still, you know, taking TJ to therapy and we, uh, you know, we had a couple of follow up appointments and one of them was with the uh, the pediatric cardiologist where the whole family went and that was that was that week and that was like three hours of doctor meetings and we were yeah so anyway yeah it was uh not till the following saturday that i was able to get out okay so which was the opener for firearms in the opening area. for firearms okay so opening for firearm uh season uh was this was this property still heavily pressured for that <laughs> for that rifle opener uh, yeah, there were several, several, uh, trucks there, but I think it was probably a little bit limited because of how cold it was. It was cold and okay. windy. I mean, it was, it was cold, cold. Yeah. And, well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, yeah, the, sure. the temperature weeds out the, the strong or the weak and the strong get out in the woods. And so knowing when you're, when you're getting out to this, uh, property again, or this, uh, this piece of public, Talk to me a little bit about how the impact of that last encounter in that location weighed on your decision-making on where to set up the next time. Uh, so that encounter, you know, I, I, in watching that deer's demeanor, I felt like he was very comfortable with his travel route um, coming from where he was coming and going to where he was going. So especially with a couple of days or, you know, several days of me not being in there and presumably nobody else being in there. Um, I was comfortable with the fact that he may have, um, you know, altered his route yeah. uh, for a couple of days after I was in there. If he happened to catch my ground center or something like that, you know, yeah. I, I, he, he never caught on to me while I was there, but I suspect you know, he probably caught my ground scent the next day or something like that. But uh, so I feel like he probably altered it for a day or two. And then but considering it was several days later, I felt comfortable with the fact that he was going to be on the same travel route that he was at the prior um, encounter. And the, the conditions were different, uh, totally different. You know, we went from having like a south, south, southwest wind to uh, Northwest wind. And so I, I set up in a, on a completely different angle for, for that. Um, and sure enough, he came in on the same route. So it worked out pretty good. Wow. And were you in the, were you in the exact same tree as last time? No, totally no. different tree. So, okay. um, yeah, I was on like a, the different, a different side of his, uh, of his preferred trail. Okay. So I, I had to get on the downwind side and I was cutting it, you know, I kind of wanted to give him some of that wind. So, um, you know, I was cutting it pretty close. Yeah. So talk to me about your access route into this location. Um, was it a straight line? Did you have to J hook anything like that? Uh, it was probably two and a half to a three mile bike ride. And then, um, and it, it's, it's rough um really rough like not an easy bike route multiple times of getting off and lifting over logs and uh, it's about as difficult as you want to navigate in the dark on a bike yeah 
and um and then i had a three-quarter mile walk and i walked in a straight line and i used some uh kind of like some ditches to my advantage um and able to get in with my entry route directly in line with the prevailing wind and i knew that day with a strong you know usually if the wind's out of the northwest it's gonna be pretty strong right it's not like these light and variable southwest winds right so with the northwest wind it was pretty strong so i just walked directly into it minimized my uh you know my scent cone and searching for a tree in the dark and everything you know i had an idea of where i wanted to be and then i found it and i you know with minimal uh walking around and everything and it ended up that uh the buck on his uh on his uh on his trail coming in he probably missed my entry entry route by maybe 20 yards or so okay uh so you know it was it was kind of pretty close on that in that regard also yeah hey man i'll tell you what that's how that's how i shot my buck this year i mean if he was 20 yards to the east he would have he would have been right in line with my scent and so the terrain led him to go kind of down or not necessarily downwind to me but like a quartering wind and was right in front of me. And my wind was just like, Oh God, I, I, I got busted by a doe back during me uh, while I was in that stand. But let me ask you this. This is more of a, like uh, not necessarily reflecting that th- this hunt, you know, but talk to me a little bit about, I think a lot of guys struggle with, knowing how to work a quartering wind, right? So to, to the deer is coming to you while the your wind is, in retrospect, blowing right at them, right? And there's a lot of these very close uh, calls that could, could potentially happen in there. How long did it take you to, to really figure that out uh, from, you know, from a, you know, learning curve standpoint? Uh, with milkweed, not long. You know, before milkweed, you're pissing in the wind, you yeah. know, basically. Yeah. Uh, but you know, then when you learn, you know, how to use milkweed to learn all this stuff, then it, I mean, it becomes pretty simple, uh, especially in a, in conditions like that where, you know, there's a, there's a strong prevailing wind, and you know, what did I I got probably like 22 feet up. When you get 22 feet up, that prevailing wind is even stronger and more consistent than it is at ground level, just because there's less obstacles. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely think there's value in what you said there and that, you know, a buck that is going into the wind is going to be more comfortable, right? I mean, right. If, if you can thread that needle um, and give him the wind, he's going to be more comfortable and you're going to get more like natural um, movement and patterns. And I I like that versus, you know, a deer that's on edge and wary and yeah. 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 And at any time, I mean that, that milkweed floats down a little bit too far or, you know what I mean? And, and the game is then over at that point when you're floating your milkweed and it starts to be funky. Do you, how long do you sit there before you say to yourself, man, I think it's time to make a move to a different tree. Yeah. I mean, that's just situational. Um, tough to, tough to really say, but like on Saturday, you know, um, there was, there were, I, I think two times where out of the, you know, what, 30 times that I would drop milkweed or whatever that morning, um, two times where it went over like towards the area where he was coming from. And I, you know, like I said, I kind of thought he was going to come from that area. And it was so crazy because what it got over there towards the trail, he would come on. And then all of a sudden it would just shoot straight up. Yeah. Like straight up to where I wouldn't even be able to see it. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Yep. In a way. So was it, and that was, coming straight up was that the actual wind that was hitting land and causing it to go straight up or do you think that was was that like a, a sunny day thermal situation 
It wasn't sunny, so your guess is as good as mine. I yeah. have no clue what caused it to do that because it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and it doesn't need to, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. like it. What the yeah. deer, like the the buck came in and and uh, you know you had a, a shot at it. How long were you in the tree uh, before that deer showed up? Uh, so I guess I was in the in the tree about six ish and. I shot him around 8.30. Okay. All right. From the time that you actually saw him to the time that you let the arrow go, was it quick or was it delayed like last time? Seconds. Seconds. Was he on a pretty good clip? Yeah, I saw him at 50 yards and he was coming in quick. He was, you know, coming in with with that confidence that just like he did, uh, you know, the previous time. But the previous time there were a couple of other deer in the area that kind of, you know, um, ah, just, you know, kind of stole his attention. Right. Right. I don't, I think if, if those other deer wouldn't have been in, in the area that, uh, the first time I saw him, I probably would have gotten a clean shot at him, but they kind of, you know, distracted him, whatever. He kind of bumped him around a little bit. Uh, but on, on Saturday when I killed him, um, you know, he just, he came in true. There were no other distractions and, yeah, so I saw him at like 50 yards coming in on the on the same trail, and I I kind of anticipated that how I would have to do this, and it ended up being correct. But um, you know, I I didn't want to like commit to this before I even saw him, so I was you know still wanted to judge it, but I kind of thought what would happen is he would come in, and I would have to let him pass by. And I did, I didn't know it was going to be that close because he passed by at 14 yards. Yeah. Um, and all the while I'm just kind of hiding behind the tree and I've got good cover, you know what I mean? And, and at the, I'm also, you know, I turned on my GoPro and I, uh, you know, grabbed my bow and I'm getting, you know, everything ready. And as soon as he went by at 14 yards and he went behind a couple of trees, I pivoted around in my saddle um, around the strong side of the tree Cause well, let me back up a little bit. He came in for, like an angle at my like four o'clock and then at my three o'clock, he passed by at 14 yards. Yeah. And then when he went behind those trees, I pivoted around my tree and came to full draw in, in one motion. And then, um, I, I stopped him with a real soft, just real soft. So, because he, he did not look up at me. He just looked, right? And I had good wind cover that I could do this. And at 27 yards, he stopped. He was slightly quartering away. Um, you know, I'm at full draw. I came to my click and just uh, just buried it right, you know, just behind the crease, which, you know, with the angle he was quartering to ended up being, you know, perfect shot. I shot through both lungs right above the heart. Nice. Nice. Um, after you hit him, so that, that was your initial reaction, just like dead deer. Yes, because I knew the shot felt good and it sounded good, but you know how it goes on a, when you actually execute a perfectly, you know, a perfectly executed shot, you're, you really don't see it. Right. I mean, usually, usually when you see your arrow, it's because you're peeking out your string um and that's not necessarily a good thing because you're torquing your bow to do that yeah um but and so i did not actually see it hit um but everything felt great about it and i i watched him he bolted a little bit and then he jogged and then he walked and he stopped and he was just flicking his tail incessantly and he walked a little bit more and then i thought i saw him lay down but it was just so thick i couldn't tell for sure right and so i he just kind of he just kind of disappeared you know yeah um so I, I just took my time you know i was i think i even ate a little bit and you know texted my buddies and told everybody that i you know shot a good one and um then i climbed down and i checked out my arrow and um i was a, a little bit I guess you could say puzzled on the, on the, on the arrow itself. Um, the, the blood, it, it was just so dry already. And this is, you know, it was only like an hour later or whatever, but it was completely dry and it, it just didn't have that bright red look to it. 
Um, in fact, on the fletchings, it looked like, um, you know, what could have been like gut matter, you know, like yeah. a, a part, like uh, solid particles. But I took my finger and spit on it and wiped them down and there was nothing there when I wiped it. So I knew that that was just air bubbles that had, you know, dried and frozen in there. Uh, so I knew that was good. And then, uh, you know, I just ended up tracking them about 80 yards. And I just took my time real slow because I did not – I I thought I saw them lay down, but I wasn't 100% sure on that because it was so thick. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of took my time. And it was probably two hours after the shot where I finally saw him. And he was like 15 yards in front of me. Uh, it's so thick, you know. It was just tough to – Yeah. Tough to see him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so – I, I love this question. Uh, it's one of my favorite questions to ask. You walk up to the deer, you, you grab the horns and you pick his head up for the first time. What was going through your mind at that point? I, just all of the emotions of the previous month, you know, literally yeah. it was, it was kind of overwhelming, you know, it yeah. was almost to the point where it wasn't a typical like celebration, you know what I mean? It was just, it was a heavy moment, which was, yeah. you know, very fitting for, uh, you know, everything that had, had gone down in the previous month for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine, <laughs> like, I can't imagine, like I'm the, I'm like the older I get, the more emotional I get about everything. Like, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, was, I think I was watching some commercial where, um, a dad and his daughter were doing something and the way it was edited and the way, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what the commercial was for, but you know, the, the, the narration voice was talking about how the, you know, how the, uh, uh, you know, like a father's love to his daughter is very important, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I started getting teary eyed and things like that. And so, um, that's awesome, man. And so you have this real, roller coaster of emotion and, and and when you were able to get that deer out of there you know three two and a half miles in three miles in that means you got to go two and a half miles three miles out was the was the was the pack out difficult at all or do you have this this method down oh it was challenging holy shit because i i couldn't go the the direct route that i went in there uh just because it's uh, it's too rough. I mean, at some point you're just going through the woods, you know? Right. Um, so I had to go like all the way around. So probably ended up being closer to like three and a half miles right. to go the different route, which is an easier trail. Um, but then I also had to, you know, take my cart off my bike and, um, and, and walk the, you know, walk the cart in, and locate the deer without my phone because I lost my phone on the way back to get him. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, uh, so it took me a little while and I, but I had to load him up and, and, you know, carry him, you know, by hand through the timber for gosh, at, at least a half mile. Yeah. Um, and then I had to take him on the bike through, like a very broken trail for, uh, you know, what another half mile ish. And then I had, you know, relatively smooth sailing after that. But, yeah. uh, then of course I, you know, was trying to, it's was, it was getting dark at this point and, or no, it was dark. It was just dark by the time I got back to the truck. But as I'm approaching the home stretch, I, I, I clip a log and my cart flips over and my wheel falls off. And, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, just one of these things, right? Lots right. of adversity and challenges along the way. But I got to tell you, my perspective on what is adversity and what is a challenge uh, has, has changed a little bit. And the bar is pretty dang high right now. Exactly. So here you are in previous years, you'd be bitching about certain things. And now you're just like, uh, this is pretty freaking easy. Yes, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely. So when you, when you ended up getting that buck home, what did TJ say about that? Uh, he was stoked. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I wish he would have been with me. Uh, and that's, you know, well, I guess last year was the first year that we haven't spent the first day of firearm season together in a long time because he was, you know, he had football. Um, 
but you know, this year he actually went, uh, his girlfriend had a, like a, uh, a fundraiser event for him at, at her college in Bloomington, Illinois. And so he, he went to that. And, uh, so he was out with me. It would have been awesome if he was, but you know, he was stoked when he got home and we recounted the whole story and everything. And awesome. yeah, it's, awesome. Uh, well, <laughs> just I don't know, like, this is a positive laugh, right? I mean, it's a laugh where you're just like, holy shit, life is crazy at times. Uh, sometimes it's uh, crazy in a bad way. Sometimes it's crazy in a good way. But, um, dude, I'm just so happy that your son is uh, on the path to uh, of recovery. And I'm happy for you uh, and him. And I'm also happy that, you know, you, you got these hunts in and got the job done uh, in this uh, small period of time. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were able to uh, punch a tag this year. Yeah, it definitely was a lot more meaningful, you yeah. know, just considering all the circumstances and the reduced time in the woods and, uh, you know, I mean, anytime I can wrap my firearms tag around an archery kill is a, is a good a good day, you know, and uh, just, you know, with all that stuff going on, it was, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I don't know what the rest of your season looks like, but good luck the rest of the season. Congratulations on this uh, high-pressured public land buck that you ended up uh, tagging, and uh, man, good vibes, man. Yeah, I actually almost uh, wrapped up getting the video done, so hopefully I'll be able to drop that uh, here tonight. Uh, what's your YouTube channel so people can watch it? Hunt Fit Ted. Hunt Fit Ted, all right. All right, man, congratulations again. Awesome, thanks, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout-out to Ted. Huge shout-out to his son. Good vibes, man. That's all about good vibes. And so... Send those good vibes out into the world, right? And that's, that's man, this sounds hippie as shit, but I really do think that the support, the good vibes, the, the, the energy, the positive energy is what brought, you know, and, and the will to just be a tough son of a bitch, right, is what saved uh, his son. That's my opinion. And the fact that he was in good shape saved his son. And, uh, and now here he is out there killing deer already, right? So uh, congrats to uh, TJ, congrats to Ted, and uh, man, keep grinding, keep living life, and we'll talk to you guys next time.